Let's continue worship with a reading from Acts 1, 3 through 8. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, hearing to them, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness, my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to church, y'all. No, there we are. Morning. How are we doing? I was given some barbaric yelps during worship. I don't know if you heard those. It's been that kind of week. And by that kind of week, I mean horrible. Um, so g- glad you're here. Um, thank you to all who came to the um, Alpha Soft Launch this past Wednesday. We had a great time. Um, if you're a guest, Alpha will be starting next Wednesday. It's June 7th, and it's designed for people who don't believe in Christianity. Uh, so if you haven't had people like that in your life, you probably do have people like that in your life. Uh, they don't walk with Jesus. I would encourage you to invite them. It's going to be an awesome atmosphere. It's going to be like a party atmosphere where we just talk about the claims of Jesus are presented in various ways and creative good videos and stuff like that. And then we just have discussions about what people think about it. So that's going on next Wednesday is the actual first Alpha. So I hope you can make it and bring a friend. Um, so today is Pentecost Sunday, um, which theologians call the birth of the church. It's the birth of the church. It's when the church came into existence. Something happened in Jerusalem on this day that explosively catalyzed the Christian church into existence. It didn't exist before that. This was the thing. Not necessarily even the resurrection, but this, this experience, this supernatural event, this power, whatever it was that came on this day was the batteries of the church. Right? The church sort of existed, sort of, before this. There's a small crew of people who believed in Jesus, a couple hundred people, saw him rise from the dead. He, he appeared to them. They had believed him. They followed him. They, they, these people, this small crew that was like sort of the church before Pentecost, they probably had pretty good doctrine about Jesus. Like they knew he was the son of God. Um, they believed he rose from the dead. They saw him in his face, right? Um, think about the road to Emmaus. Remember the road to Emmaus? Where Jesus himself, disguised as he was, explains the entire Old Testament to the disciples. Remember this one? Do you remember that? You think these guys had good theology? They had better theology than you. I'll tell you that right now. All right? They didn't lack knowledge, did they? They lacked power. I'm already screaming. They lacked power. I'll calm it down. It's just eight, eight. Okay, let's go back some. They lacked power. There's a little group of Jesus' followers, yes, but there is no power. The Greek word's dunamis. It's, the, it's where we get the word, what? Dynamite. Jesus told these guys, listen, don't do anything. He ordered them. It's a command in the scripture. He ordered them, don't do anything. Wait on the promise of the Father. Do not start a homeless ministry. Don't go around praying for people. Don't preach any sermons. Don't plant any churches, right? Until you are filled with the power of my spirit. His words, Jesus' words, baptized, soaked, saturated to the bone in the spirit of my father. There's nothing more frustrating than getting your kids a present 
in which batteries are not included. They open the gifts. You think, I'm off the hook for at least three hours. They're going to be preoccupied. Batteries not included. Okay, now I'm going to go to Walmart. See you later. Go to Walmart. Be right back. And then maybe I'll get a break. It's been that kind of week, y'all. It's been that kind of week. Okay, I'm just, uh, I have three young kids. Um, this moment in the church, this moment in the church is this kind of cosmic moment of batteries not included. Like cosmic, right? And the only thing about this situation is you can't go to Walmart and get them. You can't order them next day on Amazon. The only thing you can do is wait. The one thing that all of us absolutely hate. Right, Prince's Bride, remember? I hate waiting. Remember that one? Anyone? Jesus said, all you can do is wait. Nothing. Don't do anything. Just wait for the promise of the Father. Why, Jesus? Why? I mean, look at us. Look at us. We're smart. We're strong. We're savvy. That guy can bench 230. He's in the 1,000-pound club. He's well-educated. He's got a PhD. We're attractive. Maybe. Two out of three. Right? What are we possibly lacking? Look at us. We're great at marriage. Yeah, most of the time. We're great at parenting. Oh, well, actually, we're great at doing church, though, right? I mean, we got this on lockdown. We're great. We're organized, right? We're striving for excellence. What could we possibly be missing, Jesus? Right? Read the Bible every day. You probably pray. Maybe you probably pray this week. Maybe you even came to the soft, uh, alpha, alpha soft launch, right? We're doing the stuff, putting in the work. But Jesus seems to think there is something deeper in you that needs to be fixed before you are equipped for ministry. Before you are equipped to represent Jesus to the world, he said something is missing and no amount of external behavior modification will ever get close to it. Jesus is saying, he's introducing this to you right now. Friend, brother, sister, there is a spiritual dynamic to your life. There is an unseen reality. Or you could say it this way. There's a vacuum in your heart. Not the kind that like, but like an empty space, right? Like a void, a vacuum. Although a vacuum might work because our hearts do suck things up, right? Um, But it's a space. You have an emptiness in your heart. And there's all sorts of ways people try to fill that space, right? Sex, popularity, physical health, discipline, right? The praise of men, buying more stuff. Uh, People will even try to fit religion into that space. Find the right church. Do believe the right things, right? They make religion. We can make religion about us. In that moment. But there's a space. You could call it a throne. There's a throne in your heart. There's a throne. And it's empty. And all sorts of things insist they can occupy the throne and direct your heart towards happiness. That's what we do with the throne of our hearts. Direct me towards happiness. Sex will promise you. Dude, it will promise you. I will direct your life towards fulfillment. Give in. Indulge. I will make you happy. Wealth says, if you get more of me, if I sit on the throne of your heart, you will never want for anything. You'll have security, right? You'll have comfort. This is classic church talk. You guys heard this before. But then people will say, well, I tried all that stuff. Now I'm gonna try religion. I'll start obeying the rules. And if I do enough, if I obey enough, if I give enough, then I'll be fulfilled. And it's really disillusioning when that stick comes up short too. Almost as if, stay with me, All that stuff, good pleasures, sex, food, comfort, money, materialistic things, the moral law, all of it is passing notes under the door to God. It's muted engagement with God. You get it? 
All of it's good. It's great. Sex, come on. No one's going to say amen. No one, ever said, no one ever says amen when I say that. Money, well, you guys are afraid of cats. Money, security, right? Food, the moral law, it's a good thing. But it's all passing notes under the door. We're not seeing him. We're not near to him. There's no immediacy of the goodness of God. It's good, yes, but it's an echo of goodness. It's not the reality of goodness. And at Pentecost, he flings the door open. Well, maybe cracks the door. Like if he flung the door open, all of our eyes would melt like where's the lost ark, and, you know, right? And maybe he just cracks the door, maybe, right? That, well, the language, here's the language. I'll just read the Bible. Pours out his spirit. That's the language of the Bible. That's what he does there that's different. He pours it out. Goosh, 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 goosh. Felt in my soul. Remember that song? Okay. And he says, church kids got that one. Uh, he says, mine is the only spirit that can occupy the throne. Spirit of sex, spirit of wealth, spirit of popularity, impotent, impotent spirits compared to what my spirit does in you. All those things are good things, but they're just thin, you see? They're unsubstantial. You can see through them. They're not substantial enough to bring you the thing you really want. So Jesus says, don't try to represent my name in any way until you are clothed with power from on high, the spirit of my father, right? So there's so much biblical imagery here. Culminating at Pentecost, we can barely scratch the surface. I'll just give you a few. Did you know that at Pentecost, it's literally the reversal of the Tower of Babel? Where mankind, at the Tower of Babel, mankind was reaching up to God to make a name for itself. And God did what? Confused the language, scattered the people. Here, at Pentecost, it's God reaching down to make a name for himself and uniting the people through language. Or how fire is a symbol of God's presence all throughout the Old Testament, the in the temple, in the Exodus, burning bush, Moses, hello. At Pentecost, it's God's fire, looks like tongues of fire, that comes and resides over every person, no longer in the temple, now on every believer, over every Christian. Now they get the Spirit of God. Not to mention the word spirit means breath or wind. And it's what? The sound of wind that they hear. And all the Old Testament prophecies about this from Joel to Ezekiel, God taking away your heart of stone, giving you a heart of flesh. Y'all, the culminating right here at Pentecost, so much of the Old Testament. We can't even scratch the surface, but let me just point out a few things biblically, and then we're going to let Jay Pathak, who's the national director of the Vineyard, finish us up, not in person, although it would be cool, he's an awesome guy, by video. Two things, let me point out two things. Uh, when we see, what we see in Scripture through the book of Acts is this. Um, this moment, Pentecost, Pentecost, this moment of being filled with the Holy Spirit is, uh, big surprise, drum roll, repeated over and over and over again. It is not once and done. Amen. Over and over again, we see this phrase, they were filled. Now, because it's a big deal, and some of you probably don't believe this, let me just point out a few things in Scripture. At Pentecost is Acts 2. Yeah, but then we see the same thing, filled with the Spirit. Again, Acts 4.8, Acts 4.31, Acts 13.9, Acts 13.52. And all of these are referring to the disciples. This is a kind of big deal. And a lot of people miss this in their theology, right? Acts 4.8 says this, Then Peter, filled with the Spirit, said to them, he's talking to the um, educated and the elite, and this is actually when uh, the educated and elite are rendered speechless by this uneducated fisherman. In his, bold, in his boldness, it says he was filled again, and then they were threatened, and then they were released. And then when they meet up with their crew, uh, after being threatened and released, Peter goes back to his crew, and it's like Pentecost 2.0 in Acts 4.31. Let's read it. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. Dude, same language. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Okay? It's the same thing. It happened again. 
It's not once and done. Again, Acts 13, 9. It's Paul, who had already been filled with the Spirit in Acts 9, stands up and confronts spiritual darkness. And it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, in Acts 13, 52, Paul and Barnabas, after being driven out of a town, both of them having been filled with the Spirit. It says in Acts 13, 52, and the disciples, disciples, bulls, were, were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, this one is particularly interesting because that Greek word is pleurao. It's the same word used in Ephesians, uh, what is it, 5.18, where Paul says, hey, it's not just be filled. It's, it's present tense active. Be being filled. Be continually filled. Over and over and over. He's basically saying, God, this is not once and done. Certain theological types will come up to me with their fat, with their bro, bro, brow, bro, brow, furrowed. It's just gonna happen today, people, all right? And they'll look at me, right? Like this. Now, are you a second filling pastor? And I'll be like, dude, no, not at all. Not at all. I'm a third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh and tenth and a million until it transforms me into someone who looks like Jesus. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate that. Now, so it's just biblically hard to say this was a once and done thing. And if you think that, I would encourage you to read the Acts again, read the book of Acts again and pay a little more attention. But second, maybe much more relevant to our discussion today and as we begin a conversation on the Holy Spirit, um, as to what as to why we have hesitations in our hearts about asking the Holy Spirit to fill us. We have a lot of hesitations about this, don't we? Why? What's the point of asking? Why do we ask? Should we ask? Are we supposed to ask? Is it a biblical thing? Maybe you grew up in a tradition where uh, it was the, tr the Trinity was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scripture, right? So no thanks. I don't want God's Spirit. That sounds scary. Maybe you grew up in a church uh, where they swung from the chandeliers and said it was because they were full of the Holy Spirit, and you are super turned off by that, and now you're worried that we're going to install chandeliers just so we can swing from them, right? <laughs> I, I have no clue what your background is, right? But I think one of the reasons many Christians don't continually ask God for His Holy Spirit to fill them is because they aren't sure what the point is. They're confused. Why seek? Why ask? Is it because we're a bunch of lazy, experiential seekers and would rather get goosebumps on Sunday to affirm our faith than obey on Monday? Some people think that. Maybe you think that people who seek this kind of thing are like witches. They just want spiritual power. They, assert, they want to assert authority over others. They want to walk around and say, God told me so, and you can't say anything about it. That's the ultimate trump card, right? I've seen that. I grew up in that. Y'all, I've seen that. I've seen absurd Immature people use the Holy Spirit to manipulate people, right? So you're like, no, don't want that. So why are we told in the Bible to ask for the Holy Spirit, y'all? Why are we told to ask? Jesus himself told us to ask. He said, you need to ask. He said, so I say to you, uh, I say, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be open for everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks find. Everyone who knocks, it will be open. What's he talking about? Well, read the rest. If you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Is it possible you don't have the Holy Spirit because you've not asked? Is that a possibility? That you're not, you don't live a life full of power and joy and exuberance and enthusiasm and patience and kindness? Because you've not asked. Apparently, it's there for the asking. Jesus seems to think, you need to ask. Why would, he not, why would he say this 
if he doesn't think that's an essential part of the process. He's saying God won't force it on you. He won't do it automatically. You need to ask for it. But it'll be given if you ask, if you want it. Some of you don't ask God of his spirit because you think the choice is I can either be a Bible person, rational, intelligent, orthodox, <laughs> or I could be a Holy Spirit crazy matic who never reads the Bible and just looking for the next great experience and goes on and on about visions and dreams. Like, I just say, that's a false dichotomy. That's a false dichotomy. If you want, listen, if you want to be a person of the book, some of you are in here, I'm a person of the book, read the Bible. Okay, cool. If you want to be a person of the book and have any intellectual integrity, you have to be a person of the Spirit too. So we want the Spirit of God because it's in the book of God. And you can't read the book of God without clearly seeing the Spirit of God is essential for the process. Like, it can't happen. So why ask for the Spirit, y'all? Why ask? Dude, what's the point? Let's get to it. Jesus says it. He says it. He tells us in Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And here it is. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Why do you need to be desperate for the Spirit of God? It's not just personal transformation, although that will happen, praise his name. It's not just personal experience, although experience the love of God will be the most amazing experience you've ever had. Just like experiencing love from another person is awesome. You guys ever experienced love from another person? Yeah. It's pretty freaking awesome. Now, can you imagine experiencing love from the God of the universe? Yeah, it's an awesome experience, but that's not the point. It's not just power to pray or power to experience, or power to see people healed, or power to have joy and peace, although all those things are there, and all those things are fruits of the Spirit. It is all that. But according to Jesus, there is one overarching reason we desperately need the power of the Spirit, is to be His witnesses. It's to be on mission with Jesus. It's to push back darkness and invite his kingdom. Yes, there's wonderful, wonderful internal realities about your life that will be radically transformed when you say yes to his spirit. But that's all for another larger reason. God wants to animate your body, not for your own sake, but for the sake of others around you. He wants to breathe into your body like he breathed into the clay and made what in Genesis? An image of God. What's an image? It's something that represents him. Get it? It's an image of him. It's a picture of him. God wants to make you a picture of himself. But you can't do it without his spirit. You have to have it. You see, it's so other people can see you and say, what is this? What? How is he patient right now? How is he full of love? Dude, it's for the radical transformation of those around you. It doesn't terminate on you. I love you. God loves you. But it's not about you. He wants to fill you with the Spirit so you can get on mission with Him in the earth. So you can live a life that's greater than your own appetites. Don't you get tired of being driven to and fro by your own appetites all day long, never satisfying you, thinking, if I get this, it'll satisfy me. God is saying there's such a bigger mission for you, and you need the Spirit of God to realize what the purpose is. And it's not you. It's those around you. It's to others around you to experience his love, right? Can you imagine what would happen if however many are in here, 40, 50, I don't know how many, but I'm horrible counting people, go out of here as images of God so that everywhere they go, 
accurately represented around them in their workplace, around their family, is who Jesus is. Y'all, we're talking radical transformation, not just of your own household, but of your community. The ministry of Jesus at work again today, in this day and age, radical transformation. Radical. Yeah, we need his spirit to be on mission. Not so that we have good church services. You're like, yeah, these aren't very good, actually. Yeah. No, we don't need his spirit for good church services. We need his spirit to be on mission with him in the earth, y'all. Right, I got to say this to you, and you need to hear it. Don't lose the plot. Don't lose the plot. God is inviting you into his story, his mission. And when we lose the plot, we start thinking it's our mission. We start thinking it's all about me, right? When we stop asking for his Holy Spirit because we think the plot is just emotional experience, or we think people who ask for the Holy Spirit are just seeking spiritual power, or it's just lazy Christians who are too lazy to read their Bible. Dude, you've lost the plot, man. You've lost the plot. That doesn't, not why he gives us Holy Spirit. God's on mission in the world to seek and save the lost, to radically transform those around you. And until you say yes to his spirit, batteries are not included. It's you on your own steam, in your own power, in your own wisdom, in your own strength. And I'm not saying that's nothing. Some of us are awesome, right? Some of us are super strong, super smart. I'm just saying you're not going to be able to represent Jesus accurately without his spirit in you. You will represent your wisdom, your kind of Christianity. You will represent your church. You will represent your doctrine. You just won't represent Jesus. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. You're going around flying the flag of Jesus. And in reality, you're just representing what you think about Jesus. There's a difference, team. It's only when the spirit of Jesus himself is inhabiting us do we stand a chance at representing Jesus to those around us. We don't represent Riverstone. God, help us. We want to represent the name and the glory of Jesus, right? People, hey, let's say it this way. People are not saved to religion, right? They are saved to the Holy Spirit indwelling them, empowering them for a totally new life, totally new power, totally new purpose, radical transformation. So I'm going to let Jay tell an amazing story of God pouring out his spirit, um, not so someone could have a cathartic experience, but so someone could get radically transformed and walk into the kingdom of God saved. All right, here we go. And so we run Alpha in our church, and there's a story, there's one moment that happened that really changed me, uh, where there was a guy uh, in one of our Alpha classes, a guy named Alex. He was, he's an atheist, and then he was, he's an engineer. Do you know engineers? You know, people like spreadsheets. And they like things that are like really specific, and they, you know, concrete that they can manage. And so Alex is in our Alpha class, and he's just, well, taking the opportunity to argue every single time we're talking about life with God. And he's like, well, how do you know this? And you can't prove that. And, and I remember thinking, why is he here? It's, I think maybe he just liked to argue with people. I'm not, I'm not sure. But we had a thing that was called uh, the, the weekend away, which many times you do in Alpha. And he's sitting there listening to us teach. And that one we were doing live. And I was teaching about the Holy Spirit. And we did our first talk. And I remember he grabbed me in the hallway and he said, hey, man, I'm not sure what you're doing, but I can tell it's like crescendoing, like you're about to try to do something, like to us. And I want to be clear, I'm not doing it. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm not going to do it. I said, that's fine. And the very next talk was being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I do this whole talk, I'm being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And you end by telling people, if you would like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we would love to pray for you. Why don't you just stand right where you're at? You can just stand up and we'll pray that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And sure enough, right then, Alex just pops to his feet. He's right in front of me. And I walk over to him and I'm like, I thought you said you weren't going to do it. He said, yeah, I know, but I'm already here. Why not? Well, what, I don't, you want to be filled with the Spirit? He's like, sure. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't think it works like that. I think, I think you kind of have to want, like you're asking God for something. He's like, okay. And I'm like, no, again, that, I don't know. I don't know if that's like a real confession of faith. You have to be saying, yeah, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's like, okay. Yeah, um, no, I, uh, I don't feel, I don't know if it works like this. And, you know, we're going back and forth. And finally he says, you know what, Jay, if this is true, why wouldn't I want more of God? So, yeah, of course. So I put my hand on his chest and I said, Alex, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he fell to his knees and he started sobbing. He's crying. And I don't know if you've ever been in a moment like this in prayer where you're praying for someone or, you're even in a moment by yourself praying or someone's praying for you and it's overwhelming. You have like an experience with God, much like we talked about, where something is felt, something is experienced. You're not just passing notes under the door. You have an experience of God and he's crying and he's, you know, and you know, and I don't know if you've ever been in these moments you pray, it starts to get awkward because you're like, I don't know, should I just, how long do I, how long do I do this? You know, like what point do I just walk away? So finally, I just, walked away. I just wandered off. It was like, I don't know, 15 minutes later, he's just there crying. So then we have a break and it's like in the break, he sees me in the hallway. He goes, I got to talk to you. And I'm thinking, I bet you do. And he, he grabs me and he says, Jay, this is real. I said, yeah, I know. I know. I know it's real. And he goes, no, no, not like the way, not like the way you're saying. I mean, it's like real. I go, I know, I know, I know this is real. He goes, no, no, he's a little frustrated. He's like, no, I'm not like the way, like a preacher says things are real. I mean, like, it's like real. And, and this, this time I'm a little, I'm a little offended. Like, what did you think I was doing this whole time? Like, I'm just making stuff up. And, and he goes, and he could see I'm a little thrown off. He, and he pauses, he goes, no, I mean, this is real like gravity is real. It's real like that. I'll never forget that because he was trying to say something significant. You know, he was living in a world where he said, okay, I do all my normal life, and then there's this sort of spiritual, moral stuff you try to tell me about with Jesus and dying and stuff that's really far from me. But Jay, this thing, this life that we have with God, this life that Jesus has given us is as real or maybe more real than gravity. And I, I want to say the scriptures make a really clear case that that's true. There's some of you that, you know, you maybe believe the right things. You've maybe said the right things or tried to do the right things. You even find yourself in church, but you kind of think, yeah, I mean, I, but then I go and do my real life. This is kind of this thin churchy thing, but then, then you have to do your real life. And what Alex was saying is what the scriptures say is true is that no, this life that we have with God is real like gravity is real. Actually, it's more real than that because this life that we have with God will extend past even your death. This life we have with God will change and transform and make all things new again. 
So I guess the question that you have to answer, which I can't answer for you, is how much reality do you really want? How much of life with God do you really want? A.W. Tozer, who is a great theologian, thinker, preacher, he had a question he would ask when he talks about the Holy Spirit. I think it's a really good question. He would ask, do you want to be possessed by the Holy Spirit? Do you want to be possessed by the Holy Spirit? It's kind of a strange term, isn't it? I mean, if I said instead, just like this, would you like to be possessed? I think, I think each one of you would go, no. Because when we say possessed, we automatically think of evil, don't we? You think of some dark movie you've seen, some, you know, where some somebody's their heads I mean again I know you're Christians so you've probably never seen anything like this but your their head spins around and they shoot like green liquid out of their mouth or whatever and, right I mean there's always some little girl involved in these movies I don't know why but anyway like like there's this those are the images that you know and it's kind of darkly lit maybe a strobe light or something that's what you think of when you think of possession and what, what do we mean when we think about demonic possession or possessed by evil what we mean is some kind of force some kind of personal force that's evil inhabits maybe your body your mind changes your personality and the way that you think and the way that you feel that's what it means to have evil possess you tozer's question is really relevant because what he's saying is in the same way evil can possess you don't you believe that good can that the scriptures talk about being filled with the holy spirit and what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to have God's presence overwhelm you, alter your personality, change how you think, change like even maybe how you might talk or feel, experience others in the world around you. And Tozer says, you know, many people, they want enough of the Holy Spirit to just sort of make it through life. But he says, but do you want to be possessed by the Holy Spirit? Uh, we don't have time to look at it, but you can look at it later in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, don't get drunk with wine. You know, don't do these other things that people do instead, because that's a way of feeling filled, of being influenced. He says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speak to one another in spiritual ways, like sing songs and hymns. Uh, with gladness in your heart, connect to one another and ask that you might be filled, immersed, overwhelmed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he, and he effectively says, the, the verb form he uses there is, be filled and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I ask you again, do you want to be possessed by the Holy Spirit? To have God immerse you with his presence, his love, his mercy, his kindness. The New Testament talks about fruit of the Spirit. Like, your very character can change as you've been encountered by, filled, and keep on being filled by the Holy Spirit. Self-control, kindness. Different kinds of attributes are fruit of the Spirit because you're being filled with the Spirit. Some of you have been trying so hard. I'm trying not to be angry. I'm trying to have self-control. trying to overcome these things. What the Scripture says, what you need is to yield yourself to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you want to be filled afresh 
with the power of the Holy Spirit. See, in the vineyard, we're a people that say, come Holy Spirit. It's an ancient prayer. We pray it all the time in our gatherings. Come Holy Spirit. We're not saying God isn't already with us. What we are saying is warm our affections to you. Touch our bodies. Touch our minds. Take over our lives. Fill this place and all of us with the power and the presence of heaven itself. Let me just say one last thing and then we're going to take a minute now and we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to fill you afresh with his spirit. Uh, Many, if not all of our vineyard churches, take time every week to wait on God, to listen to God, and to pray for one another because every Sunday can be Pentecost Sunday. I want to just give you one last thought where some of you are nervous. You're saying, you know, I was in a church tradition where I was told if you open yourself up spiritually, what if like instead of bumping into God, you bump into a demon? Like am I allowed to say, you know, open myself and say, God, give me your spirit. What if something evil comes in? Well, Jesus addresses this directly. He says this interesting thing at the end of teaching on prayer where he says, you know, which of you fathers, though you are evil, first of all, he calls all dads evil, not entirely wrong, but though you are evil, which of you fathers, that if your son were to ask you for a fish, would they give you a scorpion instead? Or if if you were to ask for bread, they would give you, you know, Uh, a snake. I mean, what dad would torture their kid by giving them something evil when they ask for something good? He says, but here's the deal. You who are evil kind of, you know, you wouldn't do that. How much more, here's how it ends, how much more then will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks? How much more then will God give his spirit to those who ask? All over the vineyard, all over this country, frankly, outside of this country, around the world, we're coming before God again and saying, come Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. Fill our churches, fill our lives. Because here's the truth, guys. What God wants to do in the world is going to take a lot more than your intelligence, your best effort, our best gifts, our the most charisma we have. We need to be filled afresh with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me pray for us. So Holy Spirit, I pray for each church, each vineyard church, I pray that you would come. We pray the ancient prayer, come Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. And there's some today that today is their day to just say yes to you, Lord Jesus. They came with a friend. They're not even sure why they're here, but they're realizing right now because you're speaking to them that this is real, this is true, and it's time for them to yield, to receive the gift of life that's offered in you, Jesus, that you died, you rose again, you ascended, and you're calling their name. So for those those who are thinking that right now, reach to them now. There's others of us that we've been followers of you, but we've been dry, we're, we're tired, we're worn out, and we say again, come Holy Spirit, pour out your Spirit on every vineyard church right now. Pour out your Spirit afresh. And pour out your Spirit on every church, the whole body of Christ. We say, God, we need a, a refreshing of, of your spirit. We need the water of your presence to quench us. We need the wind of your spirit to carry us. We need the fire of your spirit to burn away everything that should not remain. 
And I pray a fresh outpouring of your presence. Fill us afresh. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So right where you're at, I just want to pick up where he left off. So let me pray for us. Um, let me pray for us right now, guys. If, if there are things in your heart and life um, that you know are on the throne, I just want to give you an opportunity right now to, to take that off the throne, to repent before the living God, and to ask him, Holy Spirit, would you occupy the place of priority in my heart and life. Man, if, if work has just been overwhelming you, I, I think God's inviting you to repent of that right now, of letting that occupy so much of your heart and mind that you exist for nothing else. If there is just an overwhelming uh, urge of lust in your heart to satisfy desires, I think God wants you to repent of that right now. I'm going to invite you to do it just quietly in your heart. Ask him for forgiveness. I don't know what it's at, what, what it is for you. But let's just take 20 seconds to vacate the throne, to repent before God.